she and many of our volunteers are doing an incredible job with our with our little ones back there and and um, boy I, I encourage you even just to stop in at some time and see and see all that they're doing it's it's pretty special to see those kids taking those steps so let's jump in uh, today we're going to continue in Acts chapter 25 but first I want to start off with some other words that Paul spoke because Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 5 he said we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You know, I admit, I have read this verse hundreds of times, and every time I had read it, it was read to encourage my heart, but I have to be honest with you. After this last week and some of the things that we've gone through and some of the losses we've had as a church this past week, I read this verse with a little bit different of a perspective, and I thought to myself, is Paul crazy here? Is he, is he thinking clearly? I mean, he's saying, rejoice when you have problems. He says, rejoice when you have trials. I mean, is Paul losing his mind here? What about rejoicing in death? Is that, is that possible? Because in Acts chapter 25, that is exactly what Paul is facing here. He's on trial for death. And over the past, I don't know, several years now of being a pastor, I've had the privilege and the responsibility of, of walking with some people through facing some pretty hard things in life, some trials, some struggles, and, and even, even facing death. And I tell you that because there's something that is very sobering about sitting next to the bed of someone who maybe has days, hours to live. It, th there's something sobering about it, and it's always been interesting to me when, when those opportunities have come because most people I sit with in the final moments of their life, they, they have similar questions and feelings, whether they've been following Jesus for many years or whether they've just been following Jesus for a short time. It's interesting that the thoughts that they have and the questions that they have in that time are very similar. I hear thoughts and questions like this. Why is God doing this to me? I'm I'm not, I'm not ready. Or, or I've heard thoughts like this, thoughts that say, I really believed God would heal me here, but he didn't. Why? Why didn't, or, or, or this question, what if I haven't done enough and God is somehow angry with me, he's punishing me right now? Or, or even a bigger question, what if I am angry with God right now? And when I think of these questions and I think of these conversations, it truly, it makes me wonder is it possible, is it possible to find joy in the face of trials that we go through? Is it possible to find joy in the face of sorrow? Is it possible to find joy even when we are faced with death? This question stuck in my mind. Is joy possible? You know, I have to be honest with you, I wrote this message two weeks ago. I finished it up um, 
on a week ago Wednesday night. It was a Wednesday night. I had read through it for the last time. I thought, hey, I think I got something here. I sent it to the other pastors, Pastor Eric and Todd and Joe and Jay, to look at and just to get their thoughts and their opinions on it. And I hit send on Wednesday night. Thursday morning, I got the call that we had lost Todd. Todd Enderly. I tell you that because over this past week, I've read this message numerous times now. And as I've read the words that I wrote that Wednesday night, I, I had to ask myself, do I, do I believe this? Do I believe the words that I wrote? Do I believe in the truth of Scripture? Do I really believe and who God is, and his character, and what I know of him. Do I believe that to be true? And I tell you that because I'm standing up here this morning more confident than ever. Yes, I believe this. I believe this message that I'm about to share with you. And so it's in Acts chapter 25. Paul's being put on trial here. And in this trial, he's facing a potential death sentence. And the odds here, they're, they're, stacked, they're stacked pretty heavily against Paul. If anyone had reason to be frustrated, if anyone had reason to doubt, to question, to lose their joy, it would have been Paul. In fact, listen to what's happening to hear him here. Just in the first two verses of Acts chapter 25, it says, Three days after Festus, this is the brand new governor in town, he arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities. He left for Jerusalem, where the leading priests and other Jewish leaders met with him and made their accusations against Paul. What we know from previous chapters here is Paul has just spent the last two years in prison. He's, they, they left him in prison because the previous governor, before Festus, he wanted to appease the Roman leadership, or the, excuse me, the Jewish leadership. He wanted to make them happy, so he left him there. Well, now Festus comes, the brand new governor, and he kind of inherits Paul, as it were, as his problem to deal with. Now he is forced to figure out what to do with Paul. And once again, these Jewish leaders that are out to get him see this as their opportunity. We have a new guy in office. Let's come in and let's tell him what we want him to do with Paul. Let's get this taken care of. And they pursue with him this death sentence. They want Paul gone. And we've seen over and over again throughout Acts, right? Paul has been treated harshly and unfairly. Now he's looking at a death sentence he doesn't deserve. There's unfair accusations being made. There's Jewish leadership that's out to get him. And there's now this new people-pleasing governor that, has their, that they have their ear for. And if you're Paul, in this moment, I'm wondering, is joy possible for Paul? And I guess I ask the same question of you and what you are facing in your life right now in this moment is joy possible. And look, I know what some of you are facing because you tell me, I read it on the prayer cards, on the connect cards you share because you want prayer. There are people I know who are facing marital problems. I know there are people that are facing concerns for their children and concerns for their family. I know there's minor health concerns. There's major health concerns. There's job loss. There's hurts. There's 
and justice. There's all these things going on in your life right now. And if I ask you, is it possible to find joy in the midst of what you are facing right now? Can you? Is joy possible? So throughout the remainder of this chapter, I have to be honest, Acts chapter 25, probably not the most exciting chapter in Acts. In fact, I would say Paul's pretty silent throughout the rest of this chapter, except for in verses 10 and 11 when he requests that his trial remains in Caesarea. Really, chapter 25 of Acts is kind of like a, a boring lifetime movie. There's just some courtroom drama. There's, Jew, there's leadership going back and forth trying to figure out what they want to do with this guy and how they're going to handle Paul. That is chapter 25. All the while, Paul is silent. He's waiting. And it's in, it's in this waiting time that I, I want to make three assumptions today. They're not assumptions that I'm just pulling out of my, my, my head here. These are assumptions that I'm building based on what we know about Paul, what we've read about Paul, what Paul has written, what we know about his life and how he's lived out his life. And quite frankly, there are assumptions that I'm making based on 14 years of full-time vocational ministry and things that I have personally seen and heard as well. And I'm combining all of those things that to make these three assumptions. Is joy possible? Well, let me make my first assumption. Assumption one. Joy comes when we accept reality. What I mean by that, well, this is what I mean. We live in a society, in a culture, don't we, where we try to avoid pain at all costs. None of us want to deal with anything that's uncomfortable, do we? And so what do we do? We over-medicate. We, we, we want to avoid reality at all costs. We, 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 we drink too much, or, or there's, there's drugs or prescription drugs that we do to mask the pain because we don't want to feel it, we don't want to face it. Or, or we eat too much, or we sleep too much, or we shop too much, or we don't eat enough, or we exercise too much, we do whatever it is too much. Why? Because we don't want to face the reality that there's pain we avoid it at all costs and we'll do anything in our power to make sure that we mask this and we avoid reality. And yet Paul said this in Romans chapter 5. He said, we can rejoice in problems and trials for they, we know that they develop endurance. Endurance for what? Endurance for us not to give up. Endurance for us to keep pressing on because that is where joy is found. Because when we allow when we allow our pain to become a reality, when we accept that there is pain and it becomes reality, then I tell you this. It's then that you'll be at a place where what you say you believe about God in your head can actually become real in your heart. When you accept pain as reality, it's when you then you'll be able to take what you say you believe in your head and make it real in your heart. Let me give you an example of what I mean. In my head, I know the Easter story of a man who raised from the dead. In my heart, 
That, that becomes my personal reality of, of salvation and my reality of hope and hope and resurrection and hope of eternal life with Jesus. In my head, I know that there's this idea that God loves me. But in my heart, that becomes a reality of, of a truth that sets me free from all my guilt and all my shame. In my head, I know that this is this bedtime story of a small baby that's born of a virgin in a manger. That's nice. But in my heart, that becomes an overwhelming peace in the middle of a storm of my life. In my head, I know the condemnation that I should face for my sins. I know this in my head. In my heart, that becomes praise-filled tears of truth, of God's great mercy and His great grace and His great forgiveness in my life. When it comes from my head to my heart, it becomes real. This is... This is the reality of life, isn't it? That, that there is trials and there's sorrows, whether we want to accept it or not. We know that. John 16, says, Here on this earth you will face trials and sorrows. Life is hard. Life is hard. It was never promised to be easy. And when we accept that reality, and, and then it's then we can stop blaming God for, for being some controlling, careless being that tricked us into thinking that somehow things were always going to be comfortable. That is not the truth. We can begin to trust in a God who doesn't see things the way we see them. We can begin to trust in a, a God who, who, who his thoughts are not our thoughts. His purposes are, are bigger than anything we can imagine, and, and He is going to be able to use us in ways that we could never dream. But first we have to accept the truth of reality. The truth is, here on this earth, that you will face many trials and sorrows, but, but, He says, take heart, because I have overcome the world. This this reality is where we can begin to find joy. We don't have to avoid this pain. We don't have to, we don't have to look away. We can accept it. And with endurance, we continue to run the race that's been set before us. Assumption one, joy comes when we accept reality. Reality that there are trials and sorrows, but take heart. Because God says, I have overcome the world. Let me make a second assumption today. My second assumption is this. Joy comes when we accept the possibilities. The possibilities. You know, the Jews, they wanted Paul sent back to Jerusalem for trial. But Paul here, he, he appealed to the court in this instance. In fact, he said this. He said, no. This is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. This is the one thing Paul says in, in Acts chapter 25. And at first when I read this, I thought that, that, that really doesn't mean much until I realized the brilliance behind what Paul is doing here. He sees the possibility in his circumstance, in his trial, in his sorrow. He sees the possibility to... to to know this, we have to know a little history of what's going on here, right? Because Paul is a Roman citizen. Well, we know from history that if you are a Roman citizen, then that means that you have the right to claim 
the rights of Roman citizens. And what was his right as a Roman citizen? Well, he had the ability then to claim Rome's protection. And under Rome's protection, that meant that he had the right to be seen in the highest court and before Caesar himself. Paul was claiming his rights here. Well, Festus, the new governor, right, he sees this as a win-win. Because, because it, this would keep the Jews happy because it kind of gets Paul out of the country. But then it, Paul knew that getting sent to Rome here, this is, this is exactly where he wants to go. He's been praying for this opportunity to go to Rome. We know he's been praying for this because it was recorded in his letter to the Romans. In the very first chapter, verse 10, Paul prays this. He says, one of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. Paul wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to see the believers and speak to the believers. He wanted to continue to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone that he came in contact with, and he knew that his appeal in court to be tried as a Roman was going to give him the possibility to do just that. Just to go to Rome as a prisoner was better than not going to Rome at all. What a possibility he had. And he saw. You and I have these same possibilities. It's just, I admit, that it's easier to see possibilities after the fact. Sometimes in the middle of the trial, we don't see the possibilities, but at the end of the trial, we do. Let me give you an example. These are just kind of made-up examples, but you'll get the the feeling because you have stories like this. You know, I got a flat tire trial. It was hard. But because of that, I had to go to the bank and get money where I bumped into an old friend of mine I hadn't seen in a long time and they shared with me about things going on in their life and it gave me the opportunity to invite them to church and they did and they came and now they're bringing their kids and they're getting involved in the class. The, the possibility that came from the trial. We just, we just don't see it till afterwards. Or, or this, you know, I really wanted that job but I didn't get it. Trial. But now... I'm so grateful because I see things I hadn't seen before. God protected me from that. And through protecting me from that, now he's put me in a place where, where I'm loved and I'm accepted and I'm growing and he's using me. The possibilities that come, I could go on and on. You all have stories of this, of your own like this, that in the middle of the trial, we struggle, we get angry, we're frustrated, we're tired, we're scared. But, but what if we were able, in the middle of our trial, to just stop for a moment? Stop. And in that moment, wonder. What could God be doing here? How, how could God be using this to further his kingdom? How could God be using me right now to represent him? Who around me in this instance needs to hear about Jesus? What are the possibilities for Paul We'll come to learn that in the next couple of weeks as we're looking at the next couple of chapters. He did, in fact, make it to Rome. In fact, he spent two years in Rome 
proclaiming the gospel to everyone that he came in contact with about Jesus. And in fact, in Acts chapter 28, it even says no one tried to stop him. Paul was able to see these God-sized possibilities in the reality that he found himself in. And as a result of this, many, many people heard about Jesus and came to know Jesus as their Savior because there is joy to be found when we're willing to accept the reality of trials and sorrows, but take heart because he's overcome the world. But joy is also able to be found when we're willing to look for and accept the amazing possibilities that God might be giving us in the midst of those trials and sorrows. But let me make one more assumption today. Assumption three. Joy comes when we trust in the love of God. This sounds easy enough, but let's, let's dive into it a bit. Because Paul goes on to say this, this hope will not lead to a disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You and I know, both know it's easy to trust God, isn't it? And trust in his love when things are going well. When we're not surrounded by trials and sorrows, it's easy to think God loves me. But as soon as we go through difficult things, as soon as we're even maybe approaching our own mortality and we begin to question that, that's when doubts come in. That's when doubts of his love Come in. However, if we're going to believe in the reality of trials and sorrows, and if we're going to believe in the possibilities that come through these trials and sorrows, then we have to conclude that, that his love is still present with us in those trials and sorrows. That doesn't change. His love doesn't end. I think this is the joy of following Jesus for a lot of years. I accepted Jesus as the leader of my life when I was pretty young. I have a, a history together with God. He has a track record that I have been able to see over and over again where he's shown up. His love was there for me. And this is this is worth remembering those times because when we get in the middle of our trials and sorrows and we get consumed with those things, it is good to stop and remember those times we have seen God show up in the past. And that's exactly what David does. He writes throughout the book of Psalms these times where he's remembering what God has done for him in the middle of trials and sorrows. For instance, it's in, it's in Psalm 103. He says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He doesn't want to forget and so he says what they are. He says he forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. He's saying, may I never forget these things even though I'm going through this stuff now. And then he goes on in Psalm 105 to say, remember the wonders he's performed. Remember. Don't forget, remember his miracles and the rulings he's given. And then he goes on in Psalm 143 to say, I ponder all your great works. I think about this stuff. I think about what you have done. I, I, I remember. 
I think. And at the end of the day, then he wraps it all up by giving thanks and praise to God, by saying, give thanks to God, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. It is good to remember what God has done. I wonder if you even stopped right now, if you could remember something where you're like, man, yeah, I did see God in that. And I'm grateful. It's possible to find joy in the middle of hardships when we stop and remember, remember his faithfulness, remember his care, remember his goodness, remember his presence, remember his love. Stop and remember. You know, we often talk about putting trust in the gap. What that means is in every relationship, there's some expectations that may or may not be met. And when they're not met, we can put, we can put something in that gap. We can put distrust. We can put you know, assumptions like, I knew they would do that. I knew they would fail me. They always do that. See, that happened again. They're always like that. We can fill the gap with those things. Or we can trust the person's intentions were not harmful. We can trust that the person loves me because of past behavior. That person has been faithful in the past. That person has a track record of love for me. I can trust that. And so I ask, does God have a track record of love for you? Yes, he does. And can you trust it? Yes, you can. How do I know? Because for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's how I know. John 3.16 tells us, Emmanuel, God is with us. He came to this earth. He went to a cross. He was buried. He died. He rose three days later. Why? Because he loves you. Can we trust in this love? Yes. And Paul knew that we could trust in this love too because he penned these words to the Romans, these powerful words about God's love. He said this, can anything ever separate us from the Christ's love? He said, does it mean we no longer, he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? He says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And then he says this, and I'm convinced, convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. No power in the sky above or the earth below. below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is it possible to find joy in the middle of trials and sorrows? Yes. How? Well, we first have to accept reality. That there is trials and sorrows, but take heart because God has overcome the world. And then we have to look for the possibilities that can be found in the middle of those trials and sorrows. And finally, we have to trust in the love of God and that he has his love for each and every one of us. It's, that's where joy is found. I've... I've ha- I told you I've had the privilege to sit with some who are going through these challenges and, and trials in life, and I've had the opportunity to, to pray and encourage some of these people. Quite honestly, they encourage me most of the time. But I, I visited this one woman. Her name is Mary. 
And uh, I visited her many times. She was coming towards the end of her life. And I would go and sit with her, and sometimes her mind was clear, and sometimes it wasn't. Well, this one day I went, uh, and it was the last time I ever got to sit with Mary. And I went, it was, it was days before she, she went to be with Jesus, and, and I brought her a hot fudge sundae from McDonald's, because that was her favorite, she loved those things. And we sat there, and it was a moment where her mind was clear, and we talked. She shared with me about her family, her ups and downs. She shared with me about giving her life to Jesus and what that had meant to her. She shared with me about his love for her and her love for him. And as she was sharing this stuff with me, I thought, oh my goodness, I have to, get, I have to record this. So I slipped out my phone and I started to record our conversation. And although I can't play that conversation with you today, I did want to play one thing for you as we close because she prayed at the end of our conversation. And in this prayer, I heard all three of these assumptions. She, she knew the reality of where she was and what was going on. She also saw the possibilities that came from her life with Jesus. And then she recognized his love and gave him thanks for it. It was a powerful moment and a moment that I want to share with you this morning. So I want to close today and let Mary pray for us. So let's pray with Mary this morning. Will you, would you mind praying for us? Mary, why don't you pray? Well, how about this? Why don't you pray and then I'll and then I'll pray after you. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for the way you've led in my life. Thank you for the legacy that maybe I'll be leaving. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for everything. Amen. Amen. There is joy that can be found in trials and sorrows. I hope you find that joy this week. Have a great rest of your day, and we will see you next weekend.